Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome to the SAP. As always, it is your boy, Dave Neal. Happy August 2020. We made it this far, folks. Let's keep on going. The sooner 2020 ends, the better. Uh, 2020 added another um, uh, check mark to its resume. I just got out of the urgent care last night. I, um, I had an accident, if you haven't caught up with me. Um, I was... Uh, doing the dishes. Uh, I guess this is a trigger warning if you don't like uh, blood stories. I was doing the dishes and I had put my hand uh, knuckle deep into a very tight uh, glass that apparently had a hairline fracture and exploded the glass as I was circling the inside of the glass with a sponge and it ripped off a very crescent-shaped cut between my right knuckle on my pointer and index finger. Um <clears throat> Excuse me. Let me tell you something. When you cut yourself deep, if you've ever had a deep cut, uh, one thing happens. You don't see blood for the first three seconds. I don't know if you knew this. The deeper you cut yourself, the longer it takes to bleed. It's almost like your body's confused. It's like, uh-oh, what's this? And then all of a sudden, because at first I was like, oh, I don't know. It felt like it was a deep cut, but now that I'm looking at it, oh God, here it comes. And sure enough, I had to Google, should I get stitches? And as a PSA announcement to all of you, if you ever have to Google, should I get stitches? The quick answer is yes, you have to get stitches. So luckily, Tasha Marie Courtney was the um, the nice fiance, because this is what you do till death do us part, Tasha. That includes tetanus shots. Uh, she helped me find urgent care. As it turns out, my uh, health care had um, expired. Whoopsie, join the Patreon. And I was not going to spend, I don't know, let's put, it, let's put it this way. Unless your dick's hanging off, you're not going to the ER, right? I'm not calling an ambulance. I'm not doing any of that shit. We're saving money. So we found an urgent care that was open. It took a couple hours, to be honest. All these urgent cares were like, oh, we do, uh, what do they call it? Skype? They were like, oh, we do Skype. Yeah, they're the tele, what do they call it? Telemedicine? They're like, oh yeah, we're gonna, you know, what are they gonna suture my finger back together with a Zoom call? No, thank you. So we finally found a place that was open uh, about a half an hour out of town that was right next to a Trader Joe's. Whenever you find a healthcare center next to a Trader Joe's, it is probably a nice healthcare center. Let me tell you that. I don't know why. It just uh, fits the mold. Let me tell you this. You never want to go to a healthcare center next to a pawn shop, all right? There's just some things you want. If you have to cash a check next to your healthcare center, it ain't a good healthcare center, all right? So ours was, ne- ours was sandwiched between a Starbucks and a Trader Joe's. I was like, this is the one I like. And sure enough, as... Uh, you know, sure enough, we had what might be the youngest doctor I've ever seen. She couldn't have been a day over 26. We had the the Asian female of Doogie Hauser. Uh, she was nervous to suture my uh, my uh, skin back together, and suture it they did. It was a uh, it was a pleasant experience. Uh, she was very sweet. There's something about getting a needle injected into you that hurts a lot more when you are watching it with your GoPro. Of course, the first thing I did when I got when I cut my hand, I said, "Tasha, get the GoPro. Bring the extra battery. We're gonna get this in 4K." So I'll have a video coming out of the whole experience. Some people, some people like the uh, you know rescue 911 of the world. Some people like to see uh, you know what the body looks like uh, with the skin ripped open. Some people don't. So I'll give you that. If you don't like to see that, I hope you're not. Uh, I don't know. I hope I hope I didn't spoil your lunch just now telling you this story, but uh, all's fine. I got a nice brace on my arm and it's all stitched up and I'm, I've got all my neosporin on and uh, the stitches look nice and tight and I get them, I get them out in about a week maybe, but uh, we'll see how it goes. I tell, I tell you what though, I can't do anything with my right hand. I mean, jerking, jerking it off. That's, uh, that's, that's out of the question. I can barely type. I can't really, 
I can't uh, open a. I, I, I had struggled opening a banana. You for, you really forget how much you need both of those hands to get anything done. So um, I'm out of commission, folks. It's hard enough for me to even turn this podcast on. I don't know how I'm going to edit it. I got to edit with my left hand. So if you see a status update with a bunch of grammatical errors, I'm trying the best that I can. All right, folks. Um, I'll tell you what, though. You guys were in for a treat with this episode. You really are. This is episode 401, which is also the area code for my home state of Rhode Island. 401, baby. Ocean state. Small state. Um, this episode with Stuart Thompson, he is a very, very funny stand-up comedian. One of the nicest guys in town. Uh, it's always nice when they're funny and a good person. He's got an album out called Dandy Man. I listened to it. It is great. Dandy Man. You can stream it on Spotify or wherever you listen to. I think, I think it's pretty much wherever you listen to music. It'll be out there, but also Bandcamp. Um, you can buy the album and you know, Hey, it's another way to support artists that are, uh, living their dreams. And boy, yeah, it was, it was great to hear his his uh, jokes out there because he did a great job. Killer guy, very smart. He has a degree in linguistics. So I had, you know, when we when we book a guest on the podcast, we don't always know what direction it's going to go in. The last thing I want to do is paint the episode into a corner. Whatever we feel like talking about and have passion about, I want to bring to you guys. So this episode was very interesting because, and you'll hear it, we talk a lot about linguistics and uh, how important tone is when you talk with regards to apologizing or communicating in general, how important it is to not only say what you mean, uh, but also uh, kind of uh, uh, play that out to the receiver. Because as we've always said, there's no point in communicating if you're not willing to acknowledge when it's not received in the way in which you had intended. Uh, It's a, uh, you can't, you know, a tennis match is played with two sides, right? You got to hit it, they hit it back. If they hit it back and it's not the way you wanted it hit, you got to re-hit it and say, no, that's not what I meant. And sometimes with the communication, you just got to, it just takes time you think you think you understand somebody until you're facing adversity and we all react in different ways like for instance i cut my hand open the first thing i wanted to do was get the gopro out and try to get some new subscribers i've got a problem folks i'm ready i'm out here to bleed for you uh, anyway, so you're going to love this episode with Stuart. If you want to listen to the private Patreon episode, here, I got a deal for you guys. I just uh, recorded my latest Patreon episode with Jonesy, of course, from Weird AF News. Jonesy and I, every month, get together and we uh, we read the weird news stories. It's a very irreverent bro uh, love story that Jonesy and I have. But I got a deal for you guys. Today's August 2nd. Uh, for the next seven days till August 9th, I'm going to make that episode free for anybody who wants it on the Patreon app. So all you have to do go all you have to do is go to patreon.com slash the sap. P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash T-H-E-S-A-P. I'm gonna go into the website and I'm gonna make that episode open to the public. You can listen to it, you can decide if you want to join the Patreon, or you can just take that as a gift from me to you. So you have until October I'm sorry, you have until August 9th. I'll leave it up there for free. And then you can see all the other content. I got almost a hundred episodes there. Real, real good stuff. We've been getting some great feedback. Last episode I had a, this real like, heartfelt episode where I, I strapped the lav mic to my chest. I go out and walk the dog and I just talk for an hour about the struggles that I'm having with my communication with my mom and how there's a lot of bitterness and resentment and a lot of issues that just go untouched. And after I spoke it out loud and had this really heartfelt conversation with you guys, the Patreon audience, I decided to call my mom. And it was amazing. I talked to my mom for 55 minutes that night, which is the longest I've talked to her for a long, you know, real meaningful conversation. Told her about what, what was bothering me, the shortcomings, the, the, why, why I thought she was a great mom. It was, it was full of so much growth. And I urge anybody out there who 
doesn't have a relationship that you're proud of with your parents or a sibling or somebody close to you, if there's bitter resentment or something that's lingering, life's too short, folks. Trust me, life's too short. It's not Your issue isn't going to go away if they die or don't get back to you. Um, you need to confront it, all right? So get out there and text your mom, text whoever, whoever it is. Give them the heads up. Hey, do you have a couple minutes? Let me know when you have a few minutes. I'd love to chat. And just lay it out there. I guarantee whatever you're harboring, just releasing it is going to make you a happier, healthier person. I'll tell you what, I know after I got off the phone with my mom, I know she felt better as much as I did. I know it for a fact. I just know it. So I'm really happy that I was able to not only talk it out with the Patreon audience, but also, um, you know, put my money where my mouth is. Is that a good way to put it? I was able to actually call my mom and live up to the communication that I desire and not just settling for how it's always been, but pursuing a smarter, more enlightened way of, of um, you know, being me in my most, most authentic self. And I really wish that upon you guys. And I hope you enjoyed this episode. Um, you know, for the last month, we've been doing rooftop episodes. It's really changed the game for our podcast. We decided to take back control of the social distancing, get up to the roof. You know, we're sitting nice and safe, safely apart from our guest. We're really trying to respect everyone's health, but we're getting back to live episodes. We got this GoPro, which is this beautiful 4K wide shot with all, where there are two close-ups. We have a full three camera setup. So if you are listening to the audio only, which you are, because I only record these intros for the audio, go check out the go check out the YouTube. Um, I put a full time code in the description of the YouTube, which shows exactly uh, the different parts of the conversation. So you can just click the time code link and it'll take you right to wherever you left off if you're listening um, on the audio only. And you can see what it's all about. We've got the, like I said, we podcast an hour before sunset. So I mentioned it every episode. As soon as the sun sets behind the Hollywood Hills. We just have this beautiful moment where it's just really cool. It's cool, guys. It's been, it's been a, um, what would what, you call it? A canary in a coal mine? Is that, is that a proper term? It's been a dandelion in a, um, in a sewer full of shit. That's what it's been, you know, cause the pandemic's been tough for all of us, but it's about finding the opportunities in the new and innovative ways to share our love, our higher energy and our appreciation. Um, I'll tell you what, Tasha and I just went to Barnes & Noble uh, with our masks on, and we got a couple new books about visualization, the power of intention, a couple other books that I think are going to do wonders for our conversation on the podcast, because as much as we want to have light conversations that are full of fun and humor and all that, we really do have this uh, itch that we must scratch um, when it comes to um, envisioning and living out the life uh, that we wish, the self-actualizing, and there's no better time than now when everything's been, been reset, right? The whole globe's been reset. So we turned the computer off for 30 seconds. Now we're booting it back up. Who are we going to be? We're going to be the poet that writes the next great Oscar-winning movie, or we're going to say, oh, I only wish I had more time. Oh, I'd call my mom up, but she just doesn't understand. Maybe she will. You know what I mean? Anyway, folks, you're going to love this episode. Here's my chat with Tasha Courtney and Stuart Thompson. Ladies and 
Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome to this app. As always, it's Dave Neal, Tasha Cord, and our guest this week is Stuart Thompson. What's up, my man? Hey, it's so nice to see you both. Yeah, yeah welcome. I feel like we've already caught up because I just listened to your album, uh, <laughs> and uh, it was, I feel like I'm like a distant cousin in your family. Like, I feel like I know enough about you now. Yeah, it's, uh, I think the album is a great introduction. It was great. That Thank was you amazing. Now, do you record that at the setup? I did, at the setup in San Francisco. We went there, Tosh, you remember that? I do. That was a, that was a, that was a, that's the perfect place to record a stand-up album. That was my feeling, and fortunately, I was able to find a date with the, the guys who run it, Richard and Abhai, and they were both, um, very helpful in, you know, getting the recording set up so that it sounds great, and, uh, my friend Kyle was really good at helping me master, uh, the tracks and get them to sound the way, like you're there. That's yeah, what I was surprised about is that it actually sounded, I mean, most, you know, uh, it sounded better than, it sounded like really professional. Oh, thank you. I yeah. mean, it's a good, it's a great room, but it, it, the crowd felt intimate, which is so funny because when did you record this? Obviously pre-COVID. Uh, yes, I lucked out. It was not something we envisioned, but I recorded this on February 5th of wow. this year. Wow. Just yeah. in the nick of time. Yeah. You, and I, I had tried, I think I had originally planned for it to be sometime in like September or December and then things got pushed back for any number of reasons and uh, it yeah I'm grateful that things fell the way they fell because uh, I think if I didn't get to record this at this time the material might have started to rot within my heart <laughs> in a way. I don't, well I mean yeah that's I mean because think of all the comics that were gonna record in March or April or whatever and then now they're just on pause and they've, they're gonna they're gonna have to write a large segment that's COVID related there's they, no gym jokes that you can talk about they could I my hope is that not everyone has a COVID bit or if they do they can come up with a way to talk about it indirectly or about their their life within you know the sphere of covid right it's sort of like how every business email nowadays is like hope you're staying safe and safe and healthy you yeah know? like yeah, you just <laughs> it's uh we're tired of it oof. yeah and I, and I want to say that too but i do feel like sometimes it's falling on um either deaf ears or unwanting ears yeah. <laughs> just like yeah, it's i like we're hanging in there yeah i i do have this urge to always say like all things considered whenever i'm telling people how I'm feeling because I feel I feel this need to qualify it. Yeah. And I don't, you know, maybe I don't need to qualify it. Maybe it's like, you know, things are going pretty well. Isn't that's that funny, though, that, that for a lot of people that aren't sick, they're getting, uh, making a little bit more in unemployment, they're, the rat race has slowed down, and a lot of people's health has actually improved. But you don't want to... Because wanna, of lower stress levels? Well, just because, mean? yeah, because like when you live in L.A., you got four different jobs, you know, you're running around like crazy, and for the one time in our life, we're just told, just take a time out. Now, yeah. four months might be a little excessive, but, you know, we I think a lot of people needed to realize maybe it's not healthy, the lifestyle we're living, the rat race that we're running. You know, there's obviously a happy medium somewhere. Yeah, I don't know how other people are living, but I can only speak for myself. I know my life was, in retrospect, starting to become unmanageable with the, especially just the amount of driving that I would do here in Los Angeles. And people you know, will talk about, yeah, you, we drive a lot here. And there's an acceptance to that if you're willing to let that in. But, you know, every year I would drive about 15 to 20,000 miles, which is about double what most people would drive. 
And those are hard miles. Hard miles. <laughs> those are hard miles. <laughs> I, I, tr- I try to fit those miles in at a time when fewer people are driving, but I drive all over this country to perform. I drive all over this city to do other work that I want to do uh, during the day. And it's, you know, I am, an, I am an independent contractor through and through. So I don't have an office to commute to. And, you know, I, but I just kind of got used to living in my car. And these last four months, I've gotten to turn this apartment that I just moved into into a home a little bit more. And I've gotten to think about the things that I actually enjoy and engage in those things a little bit more. So what have you done creatively to fill the void that would normally be stand-up? Because you're, you're like, like you mentioned with the miles, you're a hardworking comic, you're a comedy store guy, you're traveling all over, you just ha- you know, have an album, but what are you doing to kind of feel like you're giving yourself that creative love? I still perform on the occasional Zoom show. I wouldn't say I'm doing it as you know, rapaciously as I would you know, live stand-up, but I am... Uh, I'm still being of service. Th- I can still work my day job. I, I tutor kids in, you know, math, science, Spanish, and test prep, stuff like that. And I can still be of service to my students and the families that I work with. And I'm really grateful for that because I know some of them have been really sort of thrown astray, even if they have a lot of resources available to them uh, to keep them on track. And it's, uh, it's nice to know that I can be of help there. That's and, great. And was that a was that an online job beforehand? No, I would go to their houses. I was like, you know, a sort of a door-to-door salesman in a way, and it was uh it's been really nice to sort of prove, you know, kind of like that that meeting could have been an email. It's nice to know that this in-person session can also work when I'm not there. Yeah, what a relief. Yes. Yeah. Now, I was telling this I know I know I didn't I didn't realize that that Tasha had met you at Trader Joe's cuz I just assumed she doesn't know anyone. Yes, know, we've because, uh, we've had a couple of Trader Joe's encounters. But, it, <laughs> well, but, well, good surprises. But I was thinking I was thinking how am I going to introduce Tasha or describe you to her and I was thinking normally when you, when when you describe a comedian to someone if they say, "Oh, do you know so and so?" and if you say, "Oh yeah, they're super nice." What you're really saying is they're not a great comic. That can be a, that can be a nice go, substitute oh, when said, you don't have anything to say. Yeah, you go. Oh, he's but in, oh, he's a really nice guy. He's great. You're saying, eh. but in your case, you're actually I mean, you're actually a really, really funny. Nice guy. Oh, thank, thank no, you. I, I was leading with funny. Tash was leading with nice. Well, you're, I'm going funny first because I know as a comic that's it. But no, and I mean that. You. And but also one of the nicest guys in Hollywood. I've never heard anyone. I would love it if someone could write in if you have a a, a story about Stuart that we could know that's actually okay. got some you know a mean story. Someone, sure. you know, so does anyone out there have any road rage stories you've seen you know but no you yeah. really are you really are a nice guy Where, where's the um where's the inner stand-up pain at <laughs> um i'll tell you uh from what i've gathered in the you know the hours of uh, therapy and other uh you know inner work that i've been able to do over the last however many years it's uh i've i've come to notice that my need for something like stand-up which is uh, an insane need by most people's standards when they really understand what it takes is just a desire to be heard. Uh, I grew up kind of, I grew up a very quiet kid. I kind of kept to myself. I knew how to do my work and take care of that aspect, but my friend groups changed often. I moved, I think, eight times while I was, uh, you know, before the age of 10. So it was all within a small area within the Bay Area, but you know that change kind of uproots you, and you gotta you know, figure out the new friend group, see if you can maintain your old friend groups, and the latter is usually not successful. But I've always wanted to be heard unencumbered, uh, without interruptions. This is so amazing, Tasha. Are you listening to this? 
Are you listening to yeah, this I'm right now? Is this, is this, this, a is a, this is a mirror right here. Is we are <laughs> twins separated at birth. Oh, really? Do you, have are, you had a similar oh, every, I interest mean, in well, stand-up for that reason? Even I mean, to this day, I, I struggle with it to this day. Yesterday, Tasha, uh, I was like, I got to run something by you. And then she was like, okay. And then I started into what I was going to run by her. And then immediately you were like something like, oh, is the oven on or something? It was, and I was like, and, I, and here's what I did. I just, t- I, sw- I took a large inhale of breath and I just stood there like a psycho. I didn't show, em- <laughs> I didn't show emotion because two months you ago. You were showing emotion. No. You were showing your frustration all and, over and your you face. And you go, don't give me that. Blah, blah, blah. And I go, I go, this is the best Before thing that I can show it. you right now was this seething anger that sure. I was interrupted at the beginning beginning of what i was gonna say so i'm 35 you've, sure. you've said resolved your issues i'm 35 going, uh, hear me <laughs> I, I don't know i don't know if they're resolved i just ha- i'm i'm trying to make peace with them to some degree and it's a uh, you know i still get frustrated all the time i'm grateful that uh i have a, a significant other who's also a comedian who kind of understands these you know some of these things that i'm going through and she also in- actively encourages me to say what i mean and mean what i say because she's super direct, you know, and I'm I'm grateful for that. It's not what I'm used to, you know. Dave, you're from Rhode Island, is that right? Yeah, that's right. Okay, yeah. so I I'm from I'm from the Bay Area, and you know, you mentioned a mirror. Maybe you had a similar experience. I grew up in a family that is, you know, very frank, but not super direct. You know, just sort of like, well, that's part of life, and but not really not not really actively invested in in uh. I don't know. I don't want to say like the moment, but like there was very, it's very businesslike the way my family is. My family acts more like a business than like a, <laughs> than like a family sometimes. And I love them very much. Uh, but you know, showing our feelings actively is not a strong suit. My brother is very sensitive by comparison, but I think if most people were to just meet him, they'd be like, oh, he's just a regular person and the rest of us are psychos. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like my family. My family is not affectionate at all. And really? when Dave and I first started dating, oh he gosh. was like, I, you didn't really understand. Like, I, I was, my family doesn't hug. Oh, really? I told her, I go at the airport, I'm going to hug your mom. I'm going to hug your mom at the I airport. Like, Tasha's okay. like, okay. We've Upon been, first meeting. Yeah, I go, I'm going to give your mom a hug. And then as soon as I saw her, I just felt the vibe. I go, hey, good to see you. We just <laughs> handshaked. You, you got to learn to, you know, stay on your toes. But it's always the other, it's like with, when it's your parents or your in-laws' parents or whoever, it's always their shit. It's their shit. That's true. But just some people don't, you know, if they weren't brought up that way, then we weren't brought up that but way. But don't you think your parents want to be? There's not a lot of emotional fluff. They're very, just like you were saying, straightforward and sort of business-like, matter-of-fact, you yeah. know. It, it's, we but don't, you and your brother are very affectionate, in and in you, have, you have a big age difference, but you can, like, hug each other a lot. Your, your brother is very much touchy and affectionate, and I wonder if that's just, like, a cry, a cry, not a cry for help, but a cry for wanting what he, what you don't get from your parents. Yeah. Like, I'm, you know, like, my, I was the same way. It was, like, I was a quiet kid. I just wanted to be heard, but a single mom, and she'd be home from work, working full-time, no child support. She did the best she could, but she sure. wasn't necessarily there being, like, tell me about your day she just worked 50 hours you know whatever yeah and you know if she were to like really lay it on what she had to experience that might not be something you were necessarily able to take at the time and yeah this is a you know this is a very proper age to sort of like you know figure out you know what what you had modeled for you and then figure out okay do i want to keep this line of thinking or do i want to you know change it up 
And there's some things that I do want to keep around. You know, I, I, my parents and my entire family really, you know, values education. I think that's a, a super way to, you know, move forward as not only as individuals, but as a people. But, you know, maybe I'm going to be a little bit more. My hope is if I do have children or someone that I'm mentoring is to, you know, and I do this with my students is to let them know why I'm doing what I'm doing, you know, have a and treat them even though they're, I might be twice as old as them, you know, treat them like as close to equals as I can. That's, in, that's important to talk to your kids as if they're like a, like a peer, not, you know, in some ways or another to like, even if they're not going to understand what you're explaining to them, but don't they're, dumb yourself down to like a three-year-old, like, you know, talk to them. I know uh, personally, I really, my, f my family and I get along great now. Mm -hmm. Um, but when I was growing up, especially like around middle, middle school and high school age, there was a lot of tension between my parents and I, because I really felt like they didn't give me any freedom at all whatsoever. I was president of every club, 4.0 student, never got in trouble, yeah. but yet I never had the freedoms that my friends had. I couldn't yeah. stay out late. You know, I couldn't even stay till the end of prom. So like, heartbreaking. So over. heartbreaking to hear this when I heard it for the first time that you would that you would give excuses to your friends why you couldn't go to their sleepovers before even asking your mom. Yeah. Oh, I would, I would yeah, give anything would to me and, and say like, you know, can you come over tonight? Blah, 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 spend the night. And I would pretend to go ask my parents and oh, come back and say wow. no, because I knew the answer would be no. And I just didn't even, I didn't even want to go through the emotional upheaval. You sure. know what I mean? So, um, but yeah, I just, I really felt like my parents never treated me as sort of an individual, you know, someone with like proper full grown thoughts and feelings mm -hmm. and proper full grown experiences yep. you know just because they haven't experienced in 20 or 30 years what it's like to be a teenager doesn't yeah or a young adult yeah yeah I, I, do, do you have any sisters no i have a younger brother and that's uh, it oh so you're the oldest and the older of two because yeah. i feel like older females we've studied we've, we've read some some stuff about this older older uh female siblings are more so counter dependent because they're overly parented in a protection sort of way, but I don't know if the older the older male sibling gets that same sort of treatment. I always felt like I was supposed to be an example. I think it was made very clear. My brother and I are five and a half years apart, and so I was pretty lucid and conscious when he was born. And I, I think I've said this before, but my uh, my dad jokingly said when my brother was born. Uh, he has a very dry sense of humor. He said, okay, from now on, everything is your fault. And a uh, really funny thing to say if I was 20, but, like, <laughs> when, but I was five and like I took a lot of shit literally. So it was, it had a little bit of an imprinting effect uh, where I did feel this overwhelming sense of responsibility for not just my brother, but for uh, anyone I was involved with. And, you know, that's why I really identified with what you said, Tasha, you know, being this, you know, overachieving person in every regard and always, you know, following the rules. Did you have a fear of breaking rules? Because I, I certainly did. I I still do. Yeah, honestly. This is yeah. this is you we just said we're saying this. On the last podcast I oh, was talking you? we were talking about how I'm such a rule follower and I get like actually really intense anxiety just about like the possibility of being like perceived the wrong way. But yeah, sure. I'm, I'm very much a rule follower. Um I definitely rebelled in my like later teenage years against my parents and broke rules, but uh I feel like that was a last ditch effort to kind of like have some experiences. Yeah. <laughs> 
broke rules. Speeding. <laughs> yeah, I was going to ask how. I was going to ask how. Well, I would sneak out of the house every sure. once in a while. We had this one um, window in our like little bay window area in the kitchen that didn't have a screen in it because my parents actually had like an alarm system on the door that beeped every time you opened it. Sure. So I like couldn't open any doors in Is the it, middle of the night. Yeah, it'd be a tough, uh, tough sell. Yeah. So uh, they had this one window that didn't have a screen that was on the oh, ground floor. Okay. So I'd climb out the kitchen window to and go. There you go. <laughs> and what's funny is that like, yeah, her, her brother's in college. So you, you can see how chill your parents are with him because yeah, it's the third born, you know, whatever. And he's and, a boy. And so you you'll still as an adult have this resentment, but Not I have really. that. Well, but it's but, still you know, there. It's like you call it out. It's like but he's it's, got it's it noticeable. way easier. But yeah. my mom, my two younger brothers, love them. Right? They're seventeen and twenty three. They're great. They are both Eagle Scouts. I never got to do Boy Scouts. I don't sit up at night oh, going, okay. "Oh, we're trying to do Boy Scouts." But they all. But my stepdad, because my mom remarried, and he's he's a great guy. But they they my younger brothers are more mechanical. He's been able to be a full dad to them, oh, whereas okay. he got me at tw- at eleven. And believe it or not, I truly believe at that age you learn something from somebody but you're already kind of like my sensitivity my my uh all of my neediness was already well established with single mom club by that point sure you had a lot of stuff sort of uh set in place yeah okay yeah um, the big rebellion i did was you know embarking on a career in stand-up you know i just because <laughs> i really tried to go the you know the straight and narrow or the way that was familiar i tried to be a I tried to be a financial advisor and i really tried to stick it out at at my college, you know, along the path I had chosen, which was economics. So I, th- I thought it was, I do think economics is beautiful in a way. There's a sort of fluidity to it and it's mathematical, which really works for me. But then all the classes that I would try to take in college just kind of, they were kind of crumbling in my hands like ash because I was, I was trying to, I was trying to get ahead and I was trying to do well in those classes. And I just, I simply could not. Yeah, sometimes you can't force something that you're not passionate about. It's like you'll always have this like weight or something that's pulling you back as you're trying to move forward. Yeah, and I I went to a super competitive school and there were these people that were trying to get into this business school. And so, you know, they had this they had this, you know, sociopathic, you know, (laughs) uh, drive to them that I didn't quite have within me. And so. But during that time, I tried stand-up for the first time. I was like, oh, I could do this again. And I love stand-up. I watched it all the time from when I was 12 onward, which is not a normal 12-year-old thing to do. But I just saw George Carlin when I was flipping through these new cable channels that my parents got. And I was like, oh, man. I, w- I didn't even get the jokes. It was just that people were listening to what he was saying, and it takes it, it takes away that because I'm so I'm so on board with you. By the way, I studied business and liked economics myself. But you know that we know that this is our smartest guest we've had on in a long time. When you can't say what school you went to, he <laughs> was like, "It was a good school." I but, mean, I'll tell you, I went to Berkeley. You went to Berkeley? Yeah, yeah. So, so everyone was trying to get into Wharton. That's where they were trying to go. No, uh, Haas. Okay. Haas is the name of the business school. But yeah, very similar to Wharton. But yeah, so it's funny because when you make it as a stand-up comedian, you will be admire and I'm not saying you haven't made it I'm just saying as a when the comic you know you have your album you've got these guys that might be very successful in the business world that are looking up to you like wow the balls on this guy sure you you don't know until you experience it and when I and I see people at shows you know when I when I go on the road and you know wherever I am you know I will meet people and I can see in their eyes after about 30 seconds of talking to them if what they are doing is something that they enjoy in any amount if they enjoy it even a little bit, I can tell. There's a little glimmer 
in someone's eye when they're doing something they, they enjoy. Uh, if I can tell, I can tell they can't because their eyes are glazed over like cattle. There's like a, it's it's like they have a cataract. And with the excuses. Yeah, or they have no light at all. Some people have sure. been so crushed by these like yeah, oh, li- 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 live for the weekend. Got to just make it to Friday. Oh. And, and, and if and if that's what they can do to hang on and and stand up as you know their outlet of entertainment, I'm so I'm so glad they came. I'm so glad they acted on it. But uh, you know, if someone has the ability to give it a go, whatever that thing they want to do is, I am I'm always going to advocate for them because. Once I, ma- I started making changes, I stopped studying economics, I started studying linguistics. Once I started pursuing stand-up more, uh, which I felt was very similar, uh, you know, theoretically, I realized that this, my drive and my delusion was going to carry me through these first 10 years. And now I've been doing stand-up for 11 years and change, and now I, I, I've been able to figure out, okay, these are some of the things that will help keep me afloat doing the thing that I want to do. And, you know, I have my flexible day job until stand-up pays for more things or until the album pays for more things, possibly. Stream it, folks. Yeah, please do. Buy it. Actually, what's what's better, if they buy it? If they buy it on Bandcamp, that's probably the best best way to do it. But they can get it anywhere. They can get it on Apple. They can get it on Pandora, uh, Spotify, uh, Tidal, YouTube, Amazon, uh, Google Play. You know, you you can get it on a lot of different places. It's Dandy Man. It's called Dandy Man. My my name is Stuart Thompson. It's S-T-U-A-R. We'll link it all in the at the end, and we'll promote it again. But I just wanted to throw an extra plug in the center there because Much that is that you. is the culmination of all of your work. That is a collection of your soul. Right yeah, there. I promise you. If you listen to it, uh, some of that money does come back to me. You're not just doing it to um, you know to appease some company. It does come back to me. I'll tell you what, first full album I've listened to in a long time. Oh, thank you. Usually really you, you plug it in and you go a couple clips and you go okay we got it we got enough to talk about got but, the idea. but we'll get we'll get into it but anyway so, sorry to sidetrack you there but uh no problem really, I, really I, impressed thank you i uh and that's the thing with a with the first album i, I you know i feel it's necessary to put a lot of thought into it because i listened to stand-up albums in, when i was a high schooler when i was first loving comedy but did not know that there was a way for people like me to do it i thought stand-ups were like a different breed of people like circus folk and now I've been in it, and I know we are. Uh, <laughs> but there's a, <laughs> there is this just respected list. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, th- yeah. There's a there is a craftsmanship to uh, clowning that people really understand somehow more. Uh, there's, but I would li- I would download albums, you know, by people like you know Pat Pat Oswald and Maria Bamford and Mike Birbiglia and Aisha Tyler, and I would I would try to you know, you know, absorb as much of that as possible, and then. I was like, well, you know, it's cool that I got to listen to that. But then I realized I could do it. And now my album is in the place where I found albums before. And hopefully some 16-year-old kid will get to see that and maybe enjoy it and appreciate comedy in some w- in some new way. And I would argue that they, they that there there's a better chance for a 16-year-old now be, because right now I, I always thought albums are better than than watching stand up. You lose there's something about listening that really puts you in the seat and and really paints the picture of it, I think. And it's like reading a book. Exactly. You get to imagine. Exactly. And and with the overstimulated culture that we have now, I think when people do find stand up they go they they can just Everything else can melt away, and they can just enjoy being in 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 the story. I hope you're, so. You're telling. I hope so. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, it's. I, I know I'm not for everybody. I mean, you you mentioned earlier is like you know please send in stories of, of people not liking story. I'm willing to believe I'm not for everybody. I've done enough shows 
to realize I'm not for everybody, uh, you know, depending on their situation. But I hope there's, you know, some some track, some glimmer of uh, connection that I can get, you know, get out to you, even if it's just. Absolutely. Well, well, you mentioned that th- that sometimes when you like if see George Carlin, for me, that was Chris Rock. When you see someone, you go. I can't, what's that? No one's doing that. But then once you start getting into it, you see an open mic, you can get the growth mindset that, that chips away at the jokes. And then the joke becomes the three minutes and the five minutes. And you can really like understand how you get from, from nothing to a comedy album. There is a path to it all. And I've always said like, stand up, you're kind of just like an intern till you're the CEO of your own brand. You're kind of just like there, not making the money till you're like that top dog versus the business world where when I was an associate manager at at the ad ad agency, my first job out of college, I was super proud to pass out that business card. And then now when people ask what I do, it's like, ugh, it's a long story. (laughs) You know, it's just because, not that I'm not prideful, but it's just a lot of people when we were talking before we started here that that there's um we, we we meet a lot of tourists that come in from out of town and a, a lot of times they'll be like oh what do you do i'll say i do stand-up comedy they go well i hope it works out for you and it's like jesus christ with that attitude i mean how could you get anything <laughs> done you know you just have to you know that other people's projection of what it is is like their own sort of uh limitation i would say yeah people are always inclined to project their own experiences onto whatever we're Whatever someone else is doing, you know, I, you know, I, I feel the same way when I meet musicians. My cousin's a musician and a fantastic musician as that. If he's a great guitarist, he tours the world. And I still do not envy his slog, that he, his grind that he has to do to become the musician that he wants to become or to develop the way he wants to develop. I don't, I, I mean, I don't envy anyone else's craftsmanship. Well, we do have this idea that there's sort of like a lottery aspect to success in Oh, uh, there's only a few of us that can make it. Right. But I think what we've come to realize, well, Dave and I have talked about this before and I know my experience was similar to yours, I think, when I um I studied fashion design in school okay. and I was working in fashion and hating it so much. And uh when I quit doing that and started modeling full time it all happened really fast and really easily for me mm-hmm. and i i like to call it i heard this somewhere a million years ago like following the breadcrumbs you know like the hansel and gretel it's like you get like a it it comes easy at first you get a couple little like nibbles Mm -hmm. of success and and your path feels sort of lay it out for you so that you can have some encouragement knowing that like you're okay now i'm pointed in the right direction this feels good this feels like what i want to do that was really sucking can i pursue this yeah looks like i can yeah it's getting over that first threshold for me at least you know i've I've noticed it within stand-up i sometimes i'll have to learn a new piece of technology to either make um to either make my podcast better or to make uh you know just me doing stand-up on the road easier just something some little little thing that'll help make things efficient for my business and i am always so fucking reluctant to learn it (laughs) even if it's just a youtube tutorial away i will take days to procrastinate get, to get on it yes, <laughs> yeah. yes. Is, is, is it because you feel like it's hours not spent writing stand-up comedy no it's it's simply just you know taking that extra step into the unknown it is uh that i'm, I'm very easily set in my ways uh you know i've, I've been 45 since i was 12 it's uh, <laughs> I, I i've been you know i've been kind of like 
know, once I find a, a groove that works for me, I'm, I'm just going to kind of ride it out unless you know, my girlfriend says, hey, have you considered trying this? Uh, or, you know, just anyone saying like, hey, look at this new thing that works for me. It's like, oh, maybe there is another way. <laughs> Dave calls me that like fixed mindset. And I know oh. I'm guilty of it that I just, I, think we I would, all are. you know, I like, I like doing things my way. And it sure. is, it's daunting to have to learn a new task or to pick up something that you haven't done in years. But it, the yeah. key, the key is there's a book called The Talent Code. I'll save you the time because it's kind of very redundant, but it's just, it talks about the neuro pathways that harden by, there's an enzyme called myelin. And when you, when you know, when you learn how to play a note or tell a bit that has the right punchline, or you have to learn German, if you wanted to learn an accent for a bit, uh, this, the more you learn it, the, the better that quicker that processor becomes. So yeah. the quicker, the more you it's start like the deep, deeply carved rivers. And yeah. I don't know a thing about editing, but I've been doing it because, because of a necessity that the yeah. more I learn, the more I can pick up a quick tutorial and it all starts to make sense. Just like learning a language, the more, you know, the more you, it just starts to stick. And the more it starts to feel fulfilling and exciting. Yeah. And I think that's like a, a, a part of it. That's a part of your journey is like yeah. you, you take the leap, yeah. you decide, okay, I'm going to learn this. Okay. I'm going to try this thing. And it gets a little easier and mm -hmm. it gets a little more exciting. And then it starts to feel creatively fulfilling. So we're what, we're about four months into quarantine or whatever yes. we call this pandemic. For the first month, we talked about starting this travel blog, this and that. And then a month later, we're kind of like, uh, shaming ourselves, but it launched this week. We are tadatravels.com. Tasha's got a travel blog. She didn't know how to use Squarespace. I mean, they say it's easy, but you've made a complex website there. Boy, it, I'll tell you what, it was not easy. But, you're, but <laughs> it's, it was a month of nonstop work. But wouldn't you, wouldn't you say in the last month you wouldn't trade that for the world? I mean, you were Yesterday, working till midnight. You were doing things that that you wouldn't have done until you bought the laptop and and paid for the uh, you know the Squarespace and yeah, just made it happen. Yeah, and I got Lightroom and started learning Lightroom. Uh, yeah, yesterday I was feeling like this really overwhelming and immense sense of gratitude oh, cool. for the pandemic. <laughs> and I know that everyone obviously is having different experiences. Uh, it takes us back to where we started here talking about like feeling you can still feel good even in a global weird well horrible... it's an emotional roller coaster today i was feeling less grateful uh, sure. but but you know i was just i was really overwhelmed with this sense of gratitude and like so thankful that i was given this opportunity uh, and by given this opportunity i mean lost all my jobs you know like, <laughs> <laughs> like i you finally can, i didn't have the excuse anymore yes. because i always had excuses before i was so worn out i was so tired i didn't have any like creative energy left over i didn't have any emotional energy left over yeah. so there I just didn't have the capacity to take on this project that I had been wanting and dreaming about for years mm -hmm. and finally it fell like to me on a platter yeah. no more excuses you have all the time in the world so you yeah. you need to make this happen and I was just I was feeling really grateful I was I received a lot of positive feedback from hey, our listeners and great. some people online. yeah you could have very easily not taken the action you know, yeah. like, like in hindsight, it's nice, but you could have very easily been like, no, this is too much. I, you know, I can't do this. I, a global, global pandemic. I can't be focusing on this. It's like, well, you're kind of forced to do nothing else, but good, good on you, you know? Yeah. And I've, I've talked to a lot of, uh, peers of ours in the, in the stand up world and, you know, fr friends and family, you know, and some of them have felt, you know, inspired to do some things, but not others. And I can totally understand that. I have definitely sort of gone the roller coaster, but the fact that you can see something like this as an opportunity is a, a huge leap forward compared to other ways to frame something. You know, I've, you know, I, I've definitely come to a place of acceptance about, you know, maybe this is not 
you know, right now is not the time where my services are going to come in the form of me telling jokes to people, at least live. You know, I can, I could work on the album. I did. I had help, which I'm very grateful for. And I'm grateful that people can hear some things that I made that are well produced and, you know, well thought out and sound good. So that is, that's something I'm grateful for. In the meantime, the rest of what I'm doing is, you know, I am, you mentioned learning German. I am learning German. Oh, no way. On my oh, phone. Yeah. yeah. Wait, well, what just, app are you, are you using an app? Yeah, I use Duolingo. Okay. Well, I just know from your album, Dandy Man, everybody, that you had a very good German <laughs> accent. And I was like, oh, he's got a good German accent there that you were doing on the air. Not accent. Yeah, impression. Yeah, yeah, it's a, yeah, it's a character. So I, I do, um, I do like doing voices. I always have loved doing voices and I have a good ear for them. And it's partially why I have a good ear for learning languages you know, I, I learned Spanish in, in middle school and high school, and I learned French in college, and I've been learning German for the last few months. And, you know, I took a break, but I was learning it last year, too. And, you know, slowly but surely, I just learned bits and pieces, and I, I see language as kind of like a math problem. And I like math, so it's like, okay, this plus this plus this gets you a sentence. And, you know, not every language has the same, you know, ingredients, but, you but know, German is really so very similar to English, right? In a lot of ways, it is. I think certain grammatical structures are as you get deeper and deeper into it are more specific and they're the way the clues are different uh did you guys see the movie arrival oh yeah so have you seen arrival is it amy adams i think so yeah amy adams was in it it's those big squid uh (laughs) torpedo alien things so it's a it's about an it's about aliens landing on earth uh, in oh yes yes yeah and Amy Adams plays a linguist and the movie is adapted from a really great short story called Stories of Your Life that uh, by Ted Chang that I love I, I I can't recommend this this short story enough it's only fifty pages uh, but the the way Amy Adams is character uh, as a linguist you know, tries to decipher this sort of like mandala of a of you know alien language. Uh, you know, that sort of, you know, comes out in this sort of ink blot, you know, she notices that different parts mean different things. And it, it goes the same way for German and Spanish and French and English. Uh, some of them are more subtle, but I really like stimulating my brain that way. I really like, you know, I do believe that, you know, the way to understand a culture is to understand the way they speak to each other. You know, it's, you know, part of, you know, the fact that, you know, Spanish is gendered kind of allows me to understand why, you know, you know there is, you know, it gives me a, a link to the machismo aspect of like Chicano culture, for example. Uh, you know, the the fluidity of a Latinate language kind of implies, oh, maybe these people kind of know how to dance better because the way their language moves is just more conducive for it. Yeah, yeah. it changes your understanding of the world around you. Yeah. Like, uh, what I was reading something recently, and it was comparing. I don't even remember which language it was comparing to English, but they were saying it's so funny the way we would say like, "Oh, um, I dropped this," or "I fell." Mm-hmm or I hurt myself, it sounds like to them, the way they would say it, that we did it on purpose. Not oh, like there's that an intentional it was an nature. Oh, because it's myself. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so I mean, in Spanish and French, there is a reflexive nature to that. You know, there's these reflexive pronouns that we don't have in English. It would be like, I fell myself. That's kind of how it would. Or like, I always translate. got it confused because I studied abroad in France. You would say like, a, like a tu me manque. So it'd be like, I, you, you miss me. 
or or whatever that whatever that I don't even know what that word is, but but what it's it like you, you would you would it would be like if I like instead of saying I don't know like you would have to switch up who it would, it, yeah. it would really mean I miss you yeah yeah I mean the, the same same thing in Spanish you know if I want to say like um, um, the way if I want to say like uh, you know me gusta las sillas me gustan las sillas the chair I like the chairs it really translates better as the chairs please me. You know, I am, you know, I, even though in English we would say I as the subject, it's real, you know, in Spanish it's me gustan, it's these things, I am the object of the pleasure from these chairs, for example. Uh, and and it's, it's, it's not the same in every language, but, you know, I've gotten to you know, study some other ones. That's the great thing about linguistics. You learn little bits of phenomena from a bunch of different languages, and it's like a puzzle. It's like a, it's like a, a Rubik's Cube of words, and I really like that. Now, now, so that's I mean very interesting. Obviously, with with stand up, you're there's wordplay. There's mm-hmm. there's it's a it's a sexiness trying to figure out. Oh, does this word hit hard? Does this word have the right you know you know stamp to the end of the bit, or does this one? And there is kind of like that um, thing that you have to sort of you know think out loud or talk it through and and yeah there's a lot there's a lot of in common there with learning a language because it is a language because you know there's some comics that sometimes when you break down a bit you know the words aren't that funny but they just say it in a funny way yeah if you were to write it on paper you'd be like what the fuck is this yeah and then you go but <laughs> or or sometimes like you know i hate to give people advice but sometimes you'll be at a mic and a, a new comic says something and you go hey man if you just took these two words and switched them around and then it crushes and yeah, it's just it was it was uh you didn't hit the you know you didn't hit the the note <laughs> yeah you're you're, you're I'll try and address both of those things like in the order that you told them. Uh, so I'll address the you know comedy as a language. The linguistics and comedy are super related. I at least for me, that's why I, I had this real aha moment when I was I think twenty or twenty one. I was taking uh, I switched to linguistics right before I turned twenty, and I was taking this philosophy of language class by this one of the more famous philosophers that's living. His name's John Searle, and John Searle is known for making philosophy text. A little bit more accessible to the the regular folk because I don't know if you've read a philosophy book recently they are sometimes unintelligible if you don't <laughs> know the lingo and if you're not willing to really pour yourself into it so Searle talks about um, I'll talk about you know he talks about two things specifically speech acts and intentionality so speech act theory is just that everything we say is a performance of some kind which really translates to stand-up you know everything if I make a promise that I'm gonna meet you guys at your uh, at your your outdoor uh, rooftop studio, at, <laughs> you know on you know on a certain day at a certain time, I am performing the act of a promise as I'm saying it, which is this kind of you know it's an interesting thing. We, people don't think that they're performing something as they're saying it, but they are. If I uh, express uh, or if I say I'm sorry or I apologize, I am performing the act of feeling sorrow or apologizing as I'm saying it. And, and if you, yeah, I'm, I'm sorry to interrupt, but if you don't do it right, it doesn't have the same weight. So yeah, that's what that's where intentionality comes in. It's where there's three pieces to it. Uh, to put it, you know, frankly, there's a there. I have to, I have to intend to say certain things a certain way. I have to, I, I have to intend that these words are gonna mean this, and then you, the listener, have to not only recognize my intentions to say something with you know you know these words you have to recognize 
that I that I meant that too. <laughs> like you, you don't not, you're not just taking those words I'm sorry or I promise. You have to recognize that I meant to say that too. It's it's this really it's like a it's almost like a dance between yeah, two people. You gotta, it, it's a, it doesn't, the Bluetooth doesn't connect unless both devices are on that page. You know? That's, a, that's another way to put it, for sure. <laughs> for the millennials out there. <laughs> yeah. like, for the kids. Yeah. <laughs> and, I mean, if I, you know, I, I, really, I really enjoyed linguistics for that reason. I enjoy the philosophy aspect of it, too, because if I, wanna, if I want an audience to feel a certain way, I have to say things a certain way. And that's, that can be involved in the setup. Maybe the setup... Uh, puts me in a, a position that is vulnerable and that makes the audience understand that I am putting myself in a vulnerable position and they empathize with that vulnerability, hopefully, if maybe if they've been in that position. And then that punchline is where I turn it and then I show my true intentions and then they're like, oh, the surprise and that biological response that is laughter starts to emanate from them, again, hopefully. So that's that's kind of the the thing that really clicked for me and I was like, oh, this is, you know, that's... You know, and so it, it made me really intentional about my wording and uh, and my writing. That's very, you know, I think that's probably the most concise advice you could give a comic, really, about about uh, uh, in, in, including like a multi multi dimensional way that it's not just what you're saying, but how you're saying it, and and you know just how pulling, you're making people feel. You know, but we talk about this all the time uh, to bring it into apologies. Is that so many? I mean, my I have the most altruistic i mean everything i i say and do for tasha is because uh you know and you could probably pair it back to me just being needy and wanting your attention but everything i do is like i make you cook your food and i just want you to be happy but i still will i still will fumble something and and piss you off and and then in an apology i have to let you know like hey look i was trying to do something good but i but i am aware that somewhere in my soul what i was trying to do good didn't come out or i didn't say it in the tone or the right way that and that can only happen in relationships or in in my case happens more with our relationships there like my buddies i can just tell them you know you know what what's up and i think they take it more at face value but with our situation it's like i have to overly explain like you do realize like i meant well but i understand that i probably came off like an asshole like I, like if you if you didn't receive it well there's got to be an assumption that like it was lost somewhere yeah in the airways from me lost to you lost in translation <laughs> yeah yeah you, it's hard to tell even with people that we love and care about and are close with cuz I, I i run into the same things with my my girlfriend uh, you know, I, there's certain things that I, you know, have to either perform an apology for or make an amends for. You know, I have to, I have to not only say that I'm going to do something differently, but I have to actively show daily that I am behaving differently because I know that intention is what's going to get through to my my girlfriend, and I have to, I, I just have to. Everyone has to be mindful of that. Yeah. yeah, that actions really do speak louder than words. It's not just a saying. People really mm -hmm. respond to, you know, well, like Dave was saying, an apology. An apology doesn't mean anything without correction, right? Yeah, and we don't know what people are going to bring to the table. You know, there's, um, to put it back in the academic sphere for just a moment, is um, uh, there was another professor who is no longer at Berkeley, and I think she's at Columbia now. Uh, her name's Judith Butler, and she was a rhetoric professor uh, at, at Berkeley and she would talk about, um, I read one of her books for a class and she, she talked about, um, there's this gap of time in between when someone says something, performs an utterance and in between when you, the listener hear it 
And when you respond to it, there is a little bit of time when you get to decide how you want to respond to that. Now, everyone's coming with different imprinting, so that complicates it further. But we, as the listener, do have this ability to decide how we want to go forward. You know, and some people in the scheme of stand-up, you know, will either choose to, you know, take it as, you know, oh, that's a funny joke, or that's not a funny joke, or, yeah, that was okay. Uh, or I am offended. Or in the in the case of a relationship, you know, if I if I perform an apology or perform an amends, my girlfriend has the opportunity to decide to accept it, or offer you know you know offer you know ask questions or or choose to forgive me if that's what she's feeling, or she has the ability to not accept it and decide like, hey, you fucked this up too, and and this is what I need from you, so. And we can, and this happens with friendships. This happens with our, with our families. And you know, if we have the ability to communicate it, then hopefully we can be effective with our language. Yeah, and some people are just more reflexive than others, right? They don't necessarily take that that moment. They to don't take stop that split second and think and really. And that's a sign of in 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 one way in an enlightenment to be able to digest what someone's doing and, and go. I'm going to choose not to react to that because offense is really on the receiver to decide if it's something they're going to feel. Yeah, and most times in stand-up, I would use that Judith Butler reference to be like, "Well, if you're offended, that's your fault." That's kind of <laughs> that's kind of how I would approach it. But like, you know, it's boy, it, we could use that more in society. Yeah, and and you know what, people who are offended love is when you uh, use a, a literary reference to show why they're wrong. <laughs> Luckily, people love that. But the good thing is, is that love you're smart and well spoken. So if someone wants to be offended at something you're saying with the logic that you have, that's on them to do their do the work. Like you know, you're not you're not uh, coming off in a crass way or in a way that gives them more reason to be offended. They'd have to surgically decide on something that you said, and that happens a lot in a joke where someone goes, you know, oh, I don't, you know, not that word, not that word. Yeah, and I mean the you know the last the last bit of the album you know does reference abortion, and I and you know that's not my whole act, but that is something that I I chose to end on. It's not all about it, but it is. It's, it's a great joke. Thank you. It's it's about how I chose to approach a situation with a friend, and I'll leave it at that. But I do know that there's there's buzzwords for people, and I know that if, if someone is listening to the album, they come across that bit. Maybe that is you know a turnoff, and that is where they've decided to draw the line. And again, they've you know, taking the time to listen, they've taken the time to decide how they want to respond. And at a certain point, you know, I hope I get them another time. Usually, I mean, I, I suspect you won't have one person who's offended because if they truly do listen to a full, you know, hour of your time, there is a benefit that is extended, you know, based on like getting to know you as a likable person. And by the way, I'll say this just as a side note, because I'm, I'm all sales today, Tasha, that <laughs> I was I was listening to it on the way home from Trader Joe's. I'll talk about that in a second. But I was uh, I, I hit that corner when I hit that joke. And um, and knowing, you know, hey, that's my time. Good night or whatever. And when you finish that, I got goosebumps because I just knew that that was like the end of so much of so much thought and energy that you had put into it oh, that yeah. I, that it, that just as a comic I could relate to that feeling of like I did it and now yeah. that's that one second you get or the five seconds to just absorb the audience and I used to love that before I even did stand up I used to love waiting for that moment like is he it's almost like when you're waiting for fireworks you're waiting for that grand finale you're like yeah. oh is this the grand finale I remember as a kid being so excited for the grand finale I didn't even you know I probably didn't even enjoy the real the normal fireworks but as but <laughs> when you're waiting for the comic to end you're like oh he's picking up some steam he's on a good bit here and then hey that's my time I gotta go it's, ah 
ah, and then you just it gives you permission to give the, them that love you wanted to give them. I, I hope so. And if people are listening to it all the way through, first of all, thank you. Uh, but second of all, you know, my hope is that there is a, an understanding. You know, I, I I do put I did put a lot of thought into where things are going to go. I, that was the thing I always I enjoy about stand up is like, okay, I've got these ideas. Now, what's a way I can cohesively string these together? Um, I don't, you know, I don't know how much, how many comedy specials you watch. I know there's a lot available now, but when I was first watching comedy specials, what really drew me to to any of them was if there was like a real through line. If yeah, it's, it's storytelling, right? You want to be on this journey, and yeah, if it felt a little one person showy, I was okay with that. You know, the the one that I think seamlessly did it the best. Uh, at least from when it hit me at the time, was uh, Richard Jenny's A Big Steaming Pile of Me, which came out in like 05, 06. And he's wearing a lav mic, and you're like, oh shit, is this a TED Talk before, before TED Talks existed? But you can think of it that way, but like, man, that dude's funny. And he, But it's all really tied together. There's a central theme. He lets you know right at the beginning, it's about this sort of up-down, this yin-yang kind of thing. And it's like, man, that feels hokey. But the jokes sell it. Yeah, and so if there's a way, and and so that that's that was something that really imprinted on me early, and why I also like comedians like Mike Birbiglia or or anyone who tells a story, is there's a this ability to take these folks from one idea to another seamlessly. You know, I think we're I think we're getting there. Like comedy as a whole is getting there, but for a while there was like how many laughs per minute? You know, laughs per minute. And American yeah. comedy was just just how just bulldoze people with laughs and then the Edinburgh fringe would be like, "No, but there's a story. You have to tell a full thing every year. There's a new hour, there's this and that." And you know, we see this with um when you see good magic. When you see good magic, it's not just about the sleight of hand. It's about the, you know, we, we saw David Copperfield, and it's probably a bad example, you know, but he he just, everything was bullshit. Everything in the act was bullshit, but he was like, as a boy, I would go, and he would have photos. <laughs> it's all fake. None of it's true. Okay. But he's telling this, he's selling this story, and through the whole hour and a half performance, he's really only doing three to four illusions, okay. you know, but he's stretching it out, and he's, and he's and, and then there's the, the, the beginning, middle, and end, and then actually... Tasha, the last time you probably watched a full special, cried Ali Wong. And then okay. she, she wraps it all around with this crazy big, I don't want to spoil it for people, but her first pregnant special, I think she's done two, right? Yes. Her first one, she really ties in this whole theme that ma- that makes you go, fucking, that was good. Yeah, it's 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 incredible writing. And I I remember watching it and I was like, oh man, this really ties together. And it's and it, it's it, it hooks me. It's not gonna hook everybody. Some people just want jokes, 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 and good on them. You know, there's people for that, for those people. Uh, I, it's interesting that you mentioned magic, as I, I never thought of it in a I don't I don't seek out magic. Uh, it's you know I'm I've never really been a huge fan of it. Uh, my girlfriend doesn't like being lied to. So <laughs> Uh, I said this last night to her. Yeah, I said this to Natasha because she got lied to by uh, what were they? What are they called? The clairvoyant. There was this magic act, and they were like pulling apart people's photographs, and and because we go to the magic magic castle a lot, or back in the day, when okay, you, when you could, because Tasha, Tasha was a uh, magician's assistant. She's been oh, you were okay, yeah. And actually, why don't why don't you tell the story? Because I got to reset this this camera. Okay, uh, yeah, I I was a magician's assistant. That was one of my just like random jobs that I fell into when okay. I first moved to Los Angeles. Um, and so I, I could you know, see you being I, presentational like that. Yeah, and like, a little yeah. bit, you know. 
modeling background, acting background, sure. uh, dance background. You sure. Be limber. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, sometimes, uh, yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I so I kind of you know made some friends in the community. So we go to the Magic Castle on occasion, and I've just seen we've seen some really amazing magic but yeah we we went to a show um i don't know a couple years ago where there was a husband and wife team who does sort of like this uh clairvoyant mind reading yeah. but they're, they're communicating well, to each other so they're it's all fake it's, but you don't know how they're doing it there's they, skill to it because yeah. they're 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 on the other side of the rooms and the husbands yeah i'm not trying to deconstruct exactly how they do it but they do have this you know that it's like there's a medium aspect to it where they're like communicating with people from the beyond and so they ah. were uh asking for audience members who had a photo in their wallet which and of course I, is going to be sentimental my, my dead grandma uh so yeah i volunteered and i gave them my photo and you know they were able to spell her name or something right oh, okay. um but 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 she's had a drink or two her, <laughs> her grandmother's just passed away and i'm going you better not cry because this is what they want and it's completely <laughs> fake and all that and like it's like you know this come on you worked in magic you understand that but this all isn't of this real came up because we were watching the uh documentary last night of uh mucho mucho amor it's yes. in the new documentary on Netflix. Walter Mercado, yeah. Exactly. Really excellent stuff. Yeah. Uh, He's got a hat like yours, by the way. Uh, I mean, I'm sure he had many hats like hats. mine that were uh, yeah, yeah, far more fabulous. We than we got to bring capes off. to stand-up comedy. We need a good stand-up comedy cape. Yeah, <laughs> I think I think it's time. Write your set list on the inside. As you <laughs> <laughs> but what was the what was the point of this that you were trying to bring up? Well, the point is, is that you were the saying you, your girlfriend doesn't like to be lied to. Which, by the way, just as a, an aside, Anna was on our uh, episode 205 of our podcast oh, okay we're in the 400 so she was on ah, here three years ago crazy. So you guys have been together for a long time since we've we interview you guys at three-year intervals now. yeah it would be uh <laughs> yeah it would be it'd be four years in about a month oh wow congrats yeah. that's awesome thank you so it's, she doesn't like being lied to so no she does not so no magic no magic <laughs> well uh, the, there surprises is, are okay but no magic well if if she, if she changes her mind in the future, when when the world is safe, you should come. You guys are open invite to the Magic Castle with much, us. Much appreciated. <laughs> I, I, w I would like to really test that out because I just, I would like to see if maybe there can be some nuance to her distaste for it. Because uh, I mean, I have my I guess prejudice, prejudices is the right word, but like I, it's just not something that I'm familiar with. So I. I'm willing to try most things once. I just like to be impressed. And some of this mm -hmm. magic is so impressive and so unbelievable. Yeah. Like, it's really exciting. Well, as a comic, you would love the Magic Castle because there's probably five different rooms. Everything from the close-up room, which is a little amphitheater that only seats maybe 20 people. Everyone's in shirts and tie. Everyone's like fully dressed up. And then there's the big illusion room. And then there's magic happening while you're waiting in line so it's like there's all these different rooms that yeah. something and then you and you can see uh you can see ma the good magicians really crush their set you can see them working towards it doing callbacks there's a lot of humor i mean a lot of it's i, I feel like a lot of magic humor is where comedy used to be where they probably share a lot of the same jokes it's a lot of the same a little corny yeah oh super yeah, yeah. And they're all and then what, what what do they call the the people who like magic the magic fuckers what are they called I have no idea. Uh, there's a term a, for it. A groupie for a magician. Yeah. Ah, I don't know. Chuckle that's... fuckers is what the, the the comics term is. But there's a there's a because there's a whole there's a there's a type of people that do like being lied to, and they're at the magic <laughs> castle. They love magicians. And yeah. That, let me tell you. I can understand wanting to believe. I am. I think. I think that might be the origin of my lack of 
seeking out magic is I am so analytical and s- what I love about comedy is applying real reason to a situation. And I don't feel like magic does that, uh, at least in my experience. And so you might just get caught up in like the deconstruction of well, it. Well, yeah, I'm, I, I, I do often. There was a guy who came to the comedy store. I can't remember if I was still working there, but he was doing close up magic, uh, right on the patio. And I would see this, this, group of maybe 20 comedians and staff huddle around this fella and then every time he would do a trick they would all just like burst away from him some guys had to walk away they'd like walk down the street <laughs> like, right i yelling. can't right now i can't stop it it was, it's, it was like that 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 david blaine uh parody sketch it's like what the f david blaine like yeah. he just pissed orange soda it was that kind of <laughs> that level of um astonishment and i'm 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 so used to picking things apart that I, it probably prevents me from enjoying. A well, lot of it's things. it's unsettling because with comedy, the punchline lets you, the roadmap set up to when they when you hit the punchline, you make that neurological connection that that's how you got from A to Z. And it, where in magic, you don't get to know. By the way, I like I always like to point out when when we actually hit sunset, sun just went down. We are on the roof, and uh, it's uh, this was it, it got nice and cool out here. Yeah, it did after being a blazing hot day. Yeah. Night and day. Night and day. We'll go for a couple more minutes, and then we'll get out of here. But yeah, it's there are a lot of similarities in the sort of vagabond lifestyle yep. of in because in, in in magic you're really bad until you start to get good. You know, uh, I don't. Yeah. I, I would. I mean, our friend, our friend, uh, Red man, what's a uh, copper top? Carl Coppertop. He he he's one of the best close-up magicians in the world, and he blows your mind. I'm sure he does. Blows, and it's like. Pfft, and it's like he he started at ten, just Rubik's cubes, just nonstop. You know what I mean? Like the the amount of hours that like we like to circle it all back. What we talked about at the beginning of the podcast, you have to have a true passion, a true live, breathe, and die passion for the craft to get to that level. Otherwise, you're just doing kids parties on a Sunday. You know, there's like. And isn't it fulfilling to like spend your life? pursuing something that you're that passionate about. I mean, I that's kind of my goal is yeah. to live a life where I feel inspired and passionate every day. Yeah, and I always say this. I always say um, it's it's good to not only have an opportunity, but to know that it's out there because opportunities just exist. They're like ghosts, right? They're just out there. They're just floating around. Yeah, and they're then, there if you're willing to see them. Yeah, yeah. that's how I make everything. And, and I don't uh, believe in opportunities. <laughs> but, I haven't seen one, and so I don't know if it's there, and I don't believe it. <laughs> but but it's so true that by wanting one thing, you miss, and, and, and we can apply this to relationships, you know, by like wanting Mr. Right, looking in one direction, you're blowing off the guy who's approaching you, you know, at the subway stop or wherever it is that you're at and you got to keep your eyes open and on the periphery to, to see and feel what it is you're meant to do we have a we have a listener an old friend of mine nikki she I, uh, we're friends from college she you know i'd always talk about i'd always shit on like the 40 like the corporate jobs and she's like yeah it's not all bad she started pursuing politics and oh, she cool. got into i don't want to butcher what she's doing but it's it's you know city wide city level in massachusetts and she's like the aoc of that town oh, I she, lo- so she's working on a local level yeah and got it's it. like but i i mean i think a couple years of that then you go state senate and you know it's like you start to prove yourself on that level i mean she's really like le- letting these this old boys club know what's up i mean they're not oh, showing cool. up to meetings and she's posting about it like you know she's she's by the books and she she loves doing that and she 
she went to college to be a journalist, okay. got, didn't quite do that, and then now is finding the political angle, which obviously with journalism and politics, it's, you know, there's skills that, that are combined there. But there's something beautiful about seeing somebody find what it is they're meant to do, and then all of these, what appeared to be senseless jobs that you had in the past, their skills that you learned along the way, all sort of work together, kind of like a Rubik's Cube, to bring that back. They all, you know, the Rubik's Cube doesn't look like you're about to solve it, and then until two moves away, and then you're like, oh shit, boop, 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 and then you're there. And that's kind of what it can be to find your passions in life. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of like what we were talking about before. I, I'm all for it. If someone, you know, is able to make the switch, I mean, my girlfriend started doing comedy late, much later than I did, you know, when I started, and it's, but she's been able to, you know, use that drive to get to where she wants to be now and, you know, where she will continue to move forward towards. So I'm, I'm not worried about anyone who is you know, seeking that out. Sure. There are hurdles and everyone has to be realistic and about the, the timing. I, when I was finishing college, I was like, man, I'm going to be headlining in a year. <laughs> and it was, and it was not the case, but it was, you know, it was nice to have, but you know, however delusional you are about what you want to do, I'm, I'm all for it. You know, you'll, you'll figure out where those roadblocks are. And if you really, if you still really want to do it, you'll figure out a way around it. Yeah. You got to pursue it with all the energy and love that you have. I mean, that's like, like you said before, when, when it comes down to being able to read somebody, whether or not they like what they do with their life, it's, you know, the free, like a, a friend of mine was wanted to start a podcast and she was like, I don't know what I want to talk about. What do you enjoy talking about? Cause if you don't enjoy, don't worry about what the audience wants to listen to. If you don't enjoy doing your part, it's not going to come off genuine and full of love. Like we're, we are we are way more complex and uh, intuitive as humans to know when we're like really appreciating somebody's art or their gift or, what, or whatever it is that they're an expert at. Yeah, and people will find you. Yeah, they're the right people will find you. You know, if you build it, they will come. There you go. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> well, the sun's behind the the uh, hill, so we'll get out of here. But it's called Dandy Man. Thank you. And I'll I'll post it uh, to our obviously to our audience listening here to the Patreon. But we uh, Tasha uh, listened to a little bit earlier, and I listened to the full thing, and it's really a good, uh, great, great work. I mean, Thank I'm you. really Appreciate proud it. of you. And it, it was so good to just get to know you a little bit more now. And I can't yeah, wait till we can hang out in the in the, the the normal when we're all back to doing our thing. In the meantime, I guess we just. Uh, you know, sharpen the knife and yeah. get better at what you can get better at doing right now, right? I mean, I don't have any answers. Do you have any advice for the pandemic? Um, no, I mean, it's, I mean, I don't, it's hard to say because I think, I will say like, it's kind of like what we were talking about earlier. There is, you know, this can be an opportunity if you let it be. And if, I think for me, uh, coming to a place of acceptance about what can happen and what can't happen right now made things a lot easier. So, you know, okay, I can't do stand-up as much, but I can ride my bike. Hey, I like <laughs> riding my bike. I didn't get to do that as much, and now I get to a lot. And it feels really, feels really good just to blow off steam and get out of my apartment for a reason but still be by myself. Yeah. So, you know, parameters, even ones as strict as the ones we have, I think are really important in order for creativity to, to work. Absolutely. If there's no rules, then you're like, well, what the fuck do I do? But if you have a couple rules, like, all right, well, I can shoehorn me into this. We're going to be those old guys talking about the, the 2020. <laughs> we're going to definitely be grandparents being like, oh, in 2020, it was interesting. We were on the roof chatting with each other. Like, there'll be a fondness. Uh, I love it. I, I, I really have loved this mindset 
shift that I've been experiencing. It's like really exciting and really enlightening because I know that I personally, I am very much a realist and sometimes that feels like I'm a pessimist, but I'm really like loving seeing the glass half full and, you know, diving into like ask, believe, receive. And it's like a, yeah, I mean, it feels really good. It's interesting. We got engaged in the fall and then a global pandemic. So all right. of we've I don't talk- think I got to cor- congratulate you in person, but I'll, congratulations. Thank, thank you, you so much. Yeah. I mean, you know, 2020, we're going to travel. We're going to do it all. <laughs> nope. We're not doing it. And then 2021. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we're just all on pause. So uh, aside from uh, supporting Danny Man, you have a podcast? Yes. Uh, the podcast is uh, something I do with my, my friend Luke Schwartz. It's called The Late Night Podcast with Stuart and Luke. It's uh, L8. And uh, it's kind of like Conan, but if Andy Richter didn't like Conan very much. Uh, so I try to run an honest show, and Luke interrupts me while we do it. But we have guests, and we uh, we talk about our, our lives. And um, it's uh, it's more about a f- our friendship than it is about the guest or anything else. Amazing. Yeah. Well, congratulations on that. And again, everyone, go uh, check out Danny Man anywhere you can uh, support him, buy an album, share with your friends, all that jazz. And if you and Anna ever want to come back on the podcast, we'd love to have you again. Come back on and hang out. And sure, we'll, uh, yeah, we'll, I'll, I'll, uh, we'll, we'll make it happen. Tell her I said hi, all right? I will. Thank you very much. All right. Much. Stuart Thompson, everybody, thank you so much. This was a podcast. Well, there you have it. I hope you enjoyed that conversation as much as we did. I was drinking. I don't think I addressed this on the podcast, but you'll see it if you watch the YouTube version. But I was drinking a beer, a Pilsner that I bought from Trader Joe's, and it was called Simpler Times. And I thought it was such a funny uh, name of a beer to drink during the pandemic. Simpler Times, right? Going back to a life that was simpler times. Because I'll tell you what, this pandemic living out here in Los Angeles has been the closest I've experienced to like my old days of living at home with my parents as far as not much going on at night, nowhere to be, no premiere party to go to or friend's birthday or stand-up show. It's just when the sun goes down, we pack it in and relax for the night. And there has been something peaceful about that, to say the least. Um, I hope you guys enjoyed the, this episode. We love hearing back from you. So feel free to write in sexactuallypodcast at gmail.com. Or as always, the most important thing you could do is one of two things. Either check out the Patreon, go listen to that free episode I'm putting up with my chat with Jonesy. It's a 90 minutes of uh, bro bullshit. You're going to like it. Uh, again, patreon.com slash sap, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash T-H-E-S-A-P. And if you have it in you and have an extra second and you haven't done this already, go to my YouTube channel. The quicker I blow that up, the more fun we're going to have because I plan on world domination, folks. I want to get out there, grow that following, be able to afford a house with a nice little garage podcast studio, really up the ante. So uh, YouTube, just search Dave Neal. There's a link in the description always. And then you can see the SAP playlists. The podcast, the YouTube version of the podcast always goes up a day after this. So chances are it'll be up when you search for it. And you can see what we've been working with, all of our Sunset podcasts, and put a uh, face to the, what you've been listening to. Anyway, folks, I uh, really appreciate all of you for tuning in and sticking with us during these interesting times. And uh, uh, much love to you. And we'll see you next time. Bye, everyone.